One of the highlights of my week was the opportunity to tell friends, multiple friends, on different kinds of, in different settings, about the work of Christ. It was a thrill. Different friends, one friend I've known for years, one friend I hardly know but would count them as a friend, someone else, more of a family member I've known for a long time. I got to sit down with them and talk to them about Jesus, who he is, and what he did. And it was a thrill. That's not a very sanctified word. It's not the godly word to use. It's a rush. I'm just like, this is awesome. I love to get to do this. Now, if you're thinking, well, that's just what you do because you're a pastor, you're not thinking the right way, okay? I mean, Usually I have to be locked up in a room somewhere so I can study and, you know, prepare sermons kind of thing or have a meeting or counseling. And far too little in my life do I get those opportunities. That's why I love to do things that put me in scenarios with unbelievers. You might be thinking, I want to get away from unbelievers. I want to get with unbelievers. And I, and I want you to have that desire as well. I love to tell people about Jesus. It doesn't come naturally. I don't like the conflict that often comes with it. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, but when it happens, it's awesome. It's, 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 it's a total joy. There's a good, that's, that's a better word, right? That's a more sanctified word. It's a joy. I love it. And I want you to love it. It got me thinking. I thought, why is it so awesome? Why do I love to do this? Well, I hope it's because I love my neighbor I hope it's because I love Jesus. I hope it's because I'm a Christian and I know the Great Commission is relevant to all of us. But part of it, part of the reason is, the reason I love to tell people about what Jesus has done is because I know that faith comes by hearing. Okay? I know that faith comes by hearing. It's a deep conviction. Something I know, it's something that I hold near and dear to my heart. Faith comes by hearing. In other words, if anyone is ever going to become a Christian, to have saving faith, they have to hear the truth about Jesus. I reference Romans 10 a lot. I reference it from the pulpit in passing. I reference it in classes. I reference it in conversations. I say it a lot. Faith comes by hearing. We all know that. But then I often make the assumption that we all know that. And I make the assumption that you have that same deep-seated conviction based upon knowledge from Romans 10. And I probably shouldn't make that assumption. So today I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about how faith comes by hearing. And some of you will be like, yeah, that's review. Awesome. For others of you, it's going to be new. Awesome. But I want to settle down a little bit and not make the assumption and have us consider the significance of faith when it comes to salvation, okay? Faith comes by hearing. We need to own that. And if we own that, we'll be all the more able, all the more motivated, I think, to be the ambassadors we're called to be. And hopefully you'll have the kind of thrilling week that I had this week, okay? But that got me started. I mean, that just, that sent me down the gopher hole. Because to do that, we have to talk about what faith is, and we have to talk about what faith isn't, and faith is used in different ways in the Bible, but primarily it's used a certain way, and in our culture, faith is used a different way, and in church culture, faith is confused. So we're at least going to do a short series on faith. 
Today we're just going to start. We're going to talk about the evangelism side, but it's got to be part one to talk about what faith is, what faith isn't, uh, how is it different from faithfulness, and it won't go on forever, I promise, but it's a super important issue. We'll look at different texts at different, on different weeks. Some weeks we'll be in one place, other weeks we'll be in uh, multiple places, but the driver for today is faith comes by hearing. We've got to understand something of that and own that, and it's in Romans 10. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Romans chapter 10. If you would like an outline, I do have one to offer you. We will look at three questions that will hopefully help us to understand, that will equip us, that will motivate us for our Christian living as ambassadors. So three questions regarding faith. Number one, what is faith? It's not really where I want the emphasis to be today but you pretty much have to go there. We'll do that one quickly. What is faith? Two, what makes faith necessary? What makes faith necessary? I want to get into that a little bit more, but really where I want to focus is number three, where does faith come from? Where does faith come from? And that's a complicated question in one sense. In another sense, it's not. It's just not one-sided. I promise we're going to get to John Um, and talking to others. uh, The suggestion has been, let's start a study of the gospel of Jesus according to John and let's do it when we start the fall, when everybody's back from their stuff. So that's going to be the plan. We'll probably look at some other texts, not just this faith series this summer um, and perhaps a small book or two, but where we're headed and going to land when summer's done would be to study the gospel according to John, which is a super simple book. And super complicated and daunting, and it is going to rock our minds, and I'm pretty excited about that. Okay? Okay, faith. What is faith? Ask your friends that one, and you'll probably have opportunities for evangelism. You'll probably have opportunities to evangelize your Christian friends. What is faith? Here's your assignment. As a matter of fact, if you're good with guilt, let me give you some guilt. I'm going to give you an assignment. Uh... Your assignment is to ask a friend what they think faith is. Say, my pastor told me I had to do this. Um, To ask a friend, how would you define faith in one sentence? What is faith? I'm going to read John 3.16. I'm going to read Acts 16.31. I could read Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 to help us see the answer to the question. But faith is the exact same word as belief. Okay, from the Greek word, comes from the same word, faith, sometimes translated faith, sometimes translated belief, could be translated trust, could even be translated rest. I heard it this past week, I heard it on some kind of sports radio talk. And they talked about, I can't remember if it was a coach or who it was, and they talked about whether or not that person was trustworthy. We're not sure if we should believe them. See, those are synonyms. So sometimes, even in our outside culture, we we understand what faith is. It's trustworthiness. If you're going to trust someone, you're going to have you're going to put your faith in them. Okay. So even outside of the Bible, we can talk about trivial things. Uh, We can talk about how certain things in life are trustworthy. Okay. My 
car has 196,000 miles on it. It's kind of trustworthy. I think it's going to start when I leave today, but it kind of has that little thing, you know? I changed the spark plugs because that's all I know how to do and it didn't solve the thing. So, <laughs> it's pretty trustworthy. But Molly, my wife, she has a nice new minivan and it's trustworthy, right? They're not, it's not ultimately trustworthy, but pretty, pretty confident it's going to start. Praise the Lord for two vehicles, right? Simple things. Um, when you lay down in your bed at night, right, you just, you, you just put all your weight on it. And it's a delightful thing, right? You trust your bed. You rest in your bed. You just go, <sighs> right? You're, you're believing that it's going to hold you up. You can just relax and do nothing. That's, that's trust. My kids, your kids, if you have them, you can relate even if you don't. They, they trust that their dad will have a job because he's had a job ever since they were alive. And even if you're in between jobs, you're going to look for a new job. In other words, you're going to provide for them. Most parents do. It's the general rule. It's not always true. But there's a confidence there. There's a trust there that there's going to be food on the table the next day. Somehow, there's going to be food there. There's a trust, confidence, resting. Faith is not faithfulness. As a matter of fact, my children's faith in their dad, but I'm not, I'm not perfectly faithful, but it's based upon my faithfulness not based upon their faithfulness. They're trusting. They're doing nothing and assuming there's going to be mac and, mac and cheese in the pantry. Right? But in our culture, a lot of times we think faith is faithfulness. It's not faithfulness. Actually, we're trusting in one who is faithful. Okay, enough of that. John 3.16, I picked it because we used to all know it used to be the most popular verse in the whole Bible. It's not anymore. Now the most popular verse in the Bible is God helps those who help themselves. And if you're not laughing, you think it's in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Okay? John 3... It's funny, huh, Doug? John 3.16 says, God so loved the world... In other words, this is how he loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes, there's our word, in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. We all are Bible experts by now this morning, and we could give synonyms to understand it better. Whoever trusts in him, whoever rests in him, whoever puts their confidence in him will have eternal life and won't perish. What is faith? Faith is trust. Faith is confiding. It's resting. Christian Bible teachers over the years have made it clear and, and done a good job to say things like this. Faith is only as good as its object. Now, if that's hard to get your mind around because it sounds kind of philosophical, it's, it's, it's not. Faith is only as good as its object. If the one you're trusting in is faithful, then your faith is good because you're trusting in the right one or the right thing, okay? In Christianity, we have Jesus has been raised from the dead. Oh, he's not like all the prophets. He's not like all the other religious gurus. He said he was going to be raised and he was raised. Wow! 
that ups the, the, the confidence level. He wasn't just an empty speaker. He actually did what he said he was going to do. And so in Christianity, we talk about faith in the great object who is none other than Christ. In other words, it's not blind faith. Think about this. Think about the fact that when John 3.16 was written, Jesus was walking the earth. We don't often think of that. Because we tend to think it's faith in something that is not historical. When that statement was made, Jesus is there. It wasn't a matter of believing in a phantom or fairy tales. It's if you trust in me, you'll have eternal life. Now, we live in a different time, a different era, where we're actually trusting in someone we don't see. But please make no mistake about it. He was here and walked the earth. The historical Jesus. We're not talking about the phantom Jesus. The object of your faith is not someone who is based upon fantasy and fairy tale. Okay, I didn't even want to talk about that. But how do we talk about faith if we don't talk about what it is? And I think if you can, in your, in your short little life and my short little life, if you can at least know faith means trust, faith means rest, you can help a lot of people, okay? So many people that you know, I'm positive, think your faith, if you're a Christian, is faith in faith. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in fantasy. It's not faith in self. It's actually faith in the resurrected Jesus. It's different. Okay. You're already a good evangelist if you know that. Because you can help people understand. You can read the Bible better. You can help them understand. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Number two. What makes faith necessary? What makes faith necessary? This is super theological. But remember, this is church. <laughs> okay. Why would somebody have to believe in Jesus? What makes faith in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, necessary? It's so obvious that we don't even think about it. We don't realize it. What makes faith necessary, faith in Jesus, is the fact that you can't trust yourself. If you're faithful, you don't need to trust in Jesus. If you're faithful at loving God and loving your neighbor, if you're faithful before God, God will accept you. So if you are inherently good, i.e. faithful, doing what God says, then you don't have to have faith in Jesus. In Christianity, the Christian worldview, from a biblical perspective, from Jesus' perspective, the apostles' perspective, the reason you need to have faith in Jesus is because you yourself aren't faithful, he's faithful. This is super obvious. But I just want to come out and state the obvious. We see this all over in the Bible. Let's look at Romans 1. Let's keep things in-house in Romans, even though Romans 10 is where I really want us to be. And as you're turning to Romans 1, let me encourage you, communicating the good news about Jesus isn't, isn't complicated. I'm trying to make the point, at least by the end of the message... It's far less complicated than we realize. It's telling people about what Jesus has done. To preview, it's because faith, saving faith, comes by hearing. And so, I'm going to be a teller. 
And if I can tell, people can hear. And by God's grace, people can believe. They can have faith in Jesus. But where we are right now is what makes it necessary? Well, here's what makes it necessary. How about Romans 1, verse 18 and following? It's a doozy, okay? It's, a, it, it's, it's quite the self-esteem buster. Um, I was talking to a friend this week, and I'm trying to... It's one of my friends that I was telling about the work of Jesus. And I'm trying to set things up as we're going along and trying to explain things. Um, He's gone to church his whole life and, and now has lapsed and doesn't go to church anymore. Hasn't for a long time. And he's asking me questions. I'm like, this is awesome. And I, I was talking to him about how no one truly loves God. You know, it's like a, this is a football moment. You know, it's like, it's, I, I, he's like, what? Everybody loves God. What are you talking about? And I thought, hmm. I've got some explaining to do, right? But his perspective, even with somewhat of a Christian grid in his past, was everybody loves God. So then I had to work at explaining how no one truly loves God the way God requires. Because quite honestly, that would mean we're faithful. And that would mean we don't need to actually have faith in Jesus. And here's a person who's open to Christian ideas and think, thinking, thinks he understands Christianity, and I know that I know that I know that I know he doesn't know the first thing about Christianity if he thinks everyone loves God. So, let's go ahead and see. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what, for what can be known about God is plain to them because He has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And at that point in the argument of Romans, he's, he's speaking rather universalistically. What I want you to see is a couple of things here that become rather important. How about in verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Oh, that would be a synonym for saying they did not love God. They didn't honor him as God. Or give thanks to him. It's the same kind of thing. They, they don't acknowledge God as God. And they don't honor him as God should be honored. And they don't give him thanks. Elsewhere, from the mouth of Jesus, we could say, well, he's talking about loving God. Treating God as he should be treated. Earlier in verse 18, he talked about unrighteousness two times. Ungodliness. Righteous, righteous is a law word before a judge. And God's law is love God, love your neighbor. Why do we need faith in Jesus? Because we're not faithful. Because we haven't loved God perfectly with perfect motives all of the time. I know this is super ABCs. But it's new for some of you. And it's good to reaffirm those of you who already know these things. It's not complicated. 
It's what we want to suppress. <laughs> but when we do that, we don't see our need for Christ. If we think we're good, we don't need Jesus. And we don't need the good news. So I've got this mindset. I've got this thinking. I've been informed by what the scripture says about this. And so it burdens me to tell my friend about his God problem. Because he'll never understand the Jesus solution if he doesn't understand his God problem. And I've got to tell him about Jesus, so I've got to set the context, because faith comes by hearing. How about Romans 10? Let's, let's quickly go to Romans chapter 10. I'll never forget the Sunday when I said, here at Omaha Bible Church, um, many, raise your hands if you've sinned enough this morning to go to hell. I didn't ask you guys to, <laughs> but thank you. The godly people quickly put their hands up. I can re I'll never forget one person doing this. And I thought, the person doesn't get it. Because if God's standard is, love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself... We can't trust ourselves. Can't trust ourselves. We need to trust, believe, have faith in one who came here and fulfilled the law. To quote him. Did it all perfectly. So we trust in him. Romans 10, on the positive. You guys all wanted to be uplifted now, right? On the positive side of this, here we go. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes or trusts or confides in and is justified. That's declared a law keeper, declared righteous. It's forensic, it's legal before, the, before God the judge. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He's saying the same thing two different ways there. For the scripture says everyone who believes, trusts, in him, not in self, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. See, he's the universal Savior, not just the Jewish Savior. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. But do notice, all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why do we have to have faith in Jesus and not in ourselves? Because to be saved from God's just condemnation... You've got to have faith in someone other than yourself. You've got to have faith in Jesus, the righteous. Now, the, the great news is once we cop to the guilt and say guilty, there's good news for us. There's confidence. There's assurance. There's boldness. God has accepted me in Christ. He doesn't say save a bull. He doesn't say, get you halfway, 99% of the way. You're, it's saved. And you say, how could this be? Well, it could be if his work is done, and it was done on behalf of everyone who would ever believe. It becomes simple, but it becomes awesomely simple. But it doesn't make sense. What faith does, faith leads to salvation in Jesus we don't understand our lack of faithfulness. Right? Make sense? Not always easy to communicate. All right? Our, our default position, history proves it, even in the church, is to think God helps those who help themselves. 
because we're somehow good and there's a spark of light in all of us. That's paganism. Good job if you're a pagan. It's not historic, biblical Christianity. It's why we say salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's all Him. You say, that's too good to be true. No, it's too good for you, <laughs> but it's not too good to be true. Now let's be where we need to be, I hope. Why did it just cause my heart to rejoice and say, I'm so happy. I can't wait to go home and tell my wife about the fact that with two different friends tonight, I got to tell them about the work of Jesus. Can't wait. I'm going to post something on Twitter about it. That means it's significant. (laughs) Third question, where does faith come from? Where does faith come from? Let's answer it two ways so it's not complicated. It comes from God. And it comes from hearing. And that's not contradictory. Romans chapter 10 is going to make it clear that it comes from hearing. Faith comes by hearing. That's why I was so excited this week, because I got to tell. I got to be the teller. So others could hear. And I know that I know that I know, based upon Romans 10, and I assume it a lot, so I don't want to assume it this morning, because I want you to have the same kind of joy. I know that I know that I know faith comes by hearing. Romans 10 earlier, we're not going to go there because of time. How will they know without a proclaimer? How will they know without a preacher? The implied answer is they'll never know. We're not going there, but it's Romans 10, 14. So we preach, we proclaim, knowing that faith, saving faith, comes by people hearing. They've got to hear I'd love to go off on a tangent now and say, faith doesn't come by seeing. God has set it up. Faith comes by hearing the gospel, now at least. Okay, so that's the second answer. I got so excited I had to tell you ahead of time. That's the exciting part. Well, it's all exciting. Answering the question, where does faith come from? Faith comes from God. And these things actually work together. Let me preview now and tell you ahead of time what I'm going to tell you. Faith has to come from God, but God has ordained. God has set it up is what I mean. God has orchestrated. God's plan for people believing in His Son. Faith has to come from God, but God has ordained. God has set it up this way that faith will come from God through the vehicle, through the instrument, through the means of proclamation from sinners like you and sinners like me, right? We're like fellow beggars telling other beggars where to go to find food. We're not the good ones. We don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Christ and Him crucified. But God has set it up this way, that through proclaiming and then people hearing, God will draw men and women and boys and girls to a place where they trust in Jesus. I just told you everything I'm going to tell you. Let's close in prayer. No, we're not quite yet. Not quite yet. Faith has to come from God. Why? Can't come from me. 
It's, it's universal unrighteousness, right? Romans 1, Romans 3, no one does good, no, not one. Sure, we do relative good, as I always like to qualify, but the ultimate good, not to mention the fact that the most quoted verse in my whole life, a reference, is, is Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, spiritually, we're spiritually dead. So faith has to come from God. Because we're spiritually dead, and, and faith is a good thing, and we don't do good things. So that's why we're not going there right now, but Ephesians 2 is so awesome because it says, but God, who is rich in mercy, caused us to be alive together with Him. God does this. God initiates. God acts. And that's in chapter 2, 1, 2, and 3 is the bad stuff. Chapter or Verse 4 is the good stuff. And it flows into 2, 8, and 9 where it says you've been saved by grace through faith. But dead people don't believe. Spiritually dead people don't. Just like physically dead people don't do anything. Were you with me or not? Are you with me that physical dead people don't do anything? There's a mortician who is a member of the church. I can arrange a meeting. If you want to go look. If you want to try. Spiritually dead people don't do anything either. Anything good. It's got to come from God. One text that I'll reference regarding this would be 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Then we're going to Romans 10. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Since you have been born again, okay, born a second time, spiritual birth. Since you have been born again, how? Big question is how? Not of perishable seed, 1 Peter 1, 23 says, but of imperishable, how, here's how it happens, through the living and abiding word of God. Born again, how does that happen? Through the word of God. God does it. God is the author. Now that creates all kinds of questions. Maybe that's why we're going to do a series on faith. It's got to come from God. But God has set it up in this world to use people like you and people like me to proclaim His Word to spiritually dead people and to be thrilled and excited about it because it's good news and we've experienced salvation as a result, but also because we know that we know that we know, now we're in Romans 10, that faith, saving faith in Jesus comes by, by hearing. So we should get good at telling. And it's awesome that way. How about Romans chapter 10 verse 14? I love it. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, proclaiming? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Right? Because it's messenger talk. Right? They're good runners because they, they deliver a message. Our side has won. Victory. We'll all eat like kings and queens for a month. It's a good news idea. Beautiful feet. We should compliment one another on how beautiful our feet are. Figuratively, right? But here we go. 
But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what was heard from us? And here we go. Here's where I was driving all along. I hope it's helpful to set it up this way. So faith, context is faith in Jesus for salvation, for sure, comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Another way of saying the gospel. Ta-da! That's a long way to get somewhere. It's awesome. It's freeing. It's motivating. You say, I don't know about all this evangelism stuff and I have to be able to answer all these objections and I'm not really an apologist and I kind of leave that up to somebody else. Everyone in this room can tell people in one way or another about what Jesus has done and do so without you know, becoming a heretic. Right? And, and it's exciting and amazing because you know that faith comes by hearing. Nobody's going to be saved if they don't hear the gospel. Now, what we don't have here, and we're not getting into it this morning, is what we don't have is a guarantee that everyone who I tell the gospel to is going to believe. That's not what Romans teaches, as a matter of fact. That's up to God. God has to be the one who does it. I'm not saying that I have this super ability to convert anyone. Lots of false teachers in the history of Christianity have said things like that. Don't go there. It's God's free choice to choose who he ever, whoever he wants to save. We can get into the theology of that, not this morning. God has to do it, but he's ordained, to use fancy terms the means of you and me telling. And if anyone is going to be saved, if anyone is going to have saving faith, it's going to be through the hearing of the gospel. And by the way, I'm not making this up. I think it's biblical in light of 1 Peter 1 that I read just a moment ago in light of our passage, not to mention the fact historically I'm standing in a long line of witnesses this is just standard ABC's Protestant Reformed theology, if you want to label. We don't need labels, but if you want to know, I'm saying these things with confidence in Scripture, and I love knowing that I'm not the only one. This is how we view it. This is how we see things. So, I would have liked to have told you today we're going to talk about evangelism, but by the time I got the whole word out of my mouth, most of you probably would have wanted to leave because you would have thought it was going to be some guilt trip seminar. No. No. Faith comes by hearing. So here's the only guilt I'll give you. Tell. <laughs> Tell people about what Jesus has done. Yeah, we call them to believe, to trust in Jesus. But it's not that complicated. And when you figure it out, you figure the theology of it out, it doesn't squelch things. It actually throws fuel on the fire and, and it causes me to think, I can do that. Yeah, but what if it doesn't work? How about this? It works every time. I'm not saying it guarantees people will have saving faith, but it works every time because you're doing what God has called you to do. Right? To be a proclaimer. 
say, oh yeah, I was able to share the gospel with those two guys uh, Tuesday night, and it's just a bummer it didn't work. I don't get two new notches in my belt. No, it totally worked. And perhaps God might see fit to use it to lead both or one of them to saving faith. But it was successful when I was glorifying God by boasting in His Son. Talking about how great Jesus is and what He's done because I was telling the truth and I was loving my neighbor. So success is not you converted them because now you failed because you thought you could convert them. People do need to be converted. Jesus does say, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. But don't confuse God's role with your role. Or you'll become a freak. Or you'll become so tremendously discouraged, you'll just give up. We preach and leave the results to God. But God uses preaching. And I don't, I don't just mean this kind. Proclaiming. It's awesome. It is awesome. What a great calling. What a great calling God has given us as ambassadors. And people you know who you think they could never be saved. Just remember, no one could ever be saved. Because everyone is spiritually dead to begin with. But God makes people alive. Right? Faith comes not by DNA. Faith comes not from family heritage. Faith comes not from culture. Faith comes not from, you fill in the blank. Faith comes by hearing. And so we preach. Cool stuff, huh? Practical stuff, where we live kind of stuff. We need to pray and be done, right? Because you have a lot of telling to do. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the delight that is ours to be able to have good news to tell people. Use your Holy Spirit to convict people of their sin because so many people don't even think that they have sin. They think they're inherently good. So use your Holy Spirit to do that. Use your Holy Spirit in our proclamation. And we truly do long for people to see their spiritual badness and their need for Jesus. Please save many according to your good pleasure and motivate us to be faithful tellers so that you might be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.